Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Sierra Vista, the official podcast of the City of Sierra Vista. I'm your host, Public Information Officer Adam Curtis, and today we're looking to the stars as we highlight local programs and an exhibition celebrating the upcoming launch of the James Webb Space Telescope. We'll be joined by Henry F. Hauser Museum curator Elizabeth Rozak and local amateur astronomer Ted Forte. Ted is a NASA Solar System Ambassador and a longtime member of the Huachuca Astronomy Club. In partnership with the Huachuca Astronomy Club and with support from NASA, the Henry F. Hauser Museum is hosting a multi-site exhibition all about the Webb Telescope and how it will expand what we know about our universe. That exhibition will open October 5th with unique displays at the Sierra Vista Sports Division, Ethel H. Burger Center, Sierra Vista Public Library, and Oscar Rune Community Center. And a variety of out-of-this-world programs will be held in October too. Details can be found in the fall edition of our Vista's newsletter linked in this podcast description, and you can follow the City of Sierra Vista on Facebook for the latest update. The freshly updated museum also has new hours, a current exhibit highlighting extraordinary local women who helped shape our community, and a new sensory room geared for special needs children. It sure sounds like we have plenty to talk about, so let's get to it. Hi, Elizabeth and Ted. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. So Elizabeth, can you share a little bit about a little bit about how this multifaceted celebration of the James Webb Telescope launch uh, came about and why you think it's a good fit for Sierra Vista? Well, it's a great fit for Sierra Vista because we have wonderful dark skies here. And I think uh, Ted will be able to tell us more about that later in our huge astronomy um, community in this area. But also it came about really with Ted here. Ted is the director of the Patterson Observatory and a NASA Solar System Ambassador. And he had partnered with me when we, the museum was hosting the Discover Exoplanets, the Search for Alien Worlds National Traveling Exhibition from the Space Science Institute in NASA. And he helped me to create a companion exhibit that highlighted the history of Patterson Observatory and the Huachuca Astronomy Club and featured some really beautiful local uh, astrophotography. And that's when we became to know each other professionally. And so now with the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope, it was Ted here who reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to partner again? And I was like, of course, because I love doing all the space stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I know when I was a reporter for the local newspaper, one of the first things I ever covered was a star party at uh, Keith Mullen's house. Uh, and he's a local amateur astronomer. And one thing that I sh- certainly didn't realize, you know, moving here in 2009, uh, is there are a lot of astronomers here with major kind of amateur observatories right in their backyards. Um, so, so Ted, maybe you could talk a little bit, a little bit about why Sierra Vista and the surrounding area is kind of a, a great place for amateur astronomers uh, looking to retire or, you know, kind of enjoy their hobbies. Yeah, well, the, the main reason for Southern Arizona be a, a, a mecca for amateur astronomers is the number of clear nights we have here. An unusually number, high number of clear nights compared to the rest of the country. Except when you want to do a public viewing night. Except when you want to do a public (laughs) viewing night. So, um, yeah, so a a great many of the uh, the members of the Astronomy Club are are retirees from other parts of the country, myself included. I came here specifically to do astronomy and to uh, to build a backyard observatory or to have a backyard observatory. There's over 60 amateur astronomy uh, or amateur. observatories in the county, as far as we know, and many of them are members of our club or associated with the club. 
That's awesome. And I know I know people have been doing actually meaningful research in these places, too, with exoplanets and other stuff. I mean, we just talked about the the exhibition that we had that talked about exoplanets, but there are actually a couple of guys that I know that were working on discovering exoplanets at one point. Absolutely. Uh, one local astronomer uh, is working with a team around the world to uh, to do exo, exoplanet work. He also was doing follow-up observations for the NASA TESS satellite, which is the uh, Transiting Exoplanet uh, Survey System or Survey Satellite is the name of is is the, what the acronym means. But he was doing work um, on triple star candidates that were discovered by TESS. Uh, in fact, he was using the Patterson Observatory for a short time to do some of that work. Uh, he works in conjunction with another uh, amateur uh, astronomer in the area, and um, and astronomers throughout the throughout the world. There's Australia, South America, and um, I think Bulgaria or Romania. I don't remember which now, but uh, yeah. It's just, so yeah, It's so cool. Uh, it's just the, the stuff you find out that happens kind of right in your own backyard, figuratively speaking. It's just sure. kind of awesome sometimes. Um, so, you know, what is the James Webb Telescope? Why is it a big deal? Uh, why did you kind of uh, think it would be a good idea to, to kind of highlight this with the museum? Well, the James Webb Space Telescope has has been you know on the astronomers' wish list for a very long time, and it's been in production for over twenty years now. Wow! So you know it's something astronomers have really looked forward to. It's meant to extend you know our our work that that's has been done with the Hubble Space Telescope and even the Spitzer Space Telescope, mm. but it should extend that to you know much further back in time because. Um, the, the web will be larger than the than the Hubble is. Okay. It's about three times the diameter and over six times the light grasp. So that enables you to see much fainter objects. And when we say fainter, usually we're talking more distant. Right. And the further away an object is, the further back in time you are seeing it as you move around or as you uh, as you observe in the in the uh, in those wavelengths. So Webb will work in longer wavelengths than Hubble and Spitzer, or Webb than Hubble did, okay. and therefore will be able to see further back in time. So does that mean uh, infrared wavelengths, or, or exactly Mi okay. the near infrared and the mid infrared? Okay. So it has a little bit of overlap with the Webb Space Telescope, which was mostly a visible or you know, visible wavelengths, mm -hmm. a little bit into the infrared for Webb or for Hubble, but uh, Webb has a much deeper um, view of the infrared. So we'll be able to see further away and also farther into our past? As exactly. So the more distant an object is, uh, because of the finite speed of time, um, the further back in time we're seeing it. So as the light reaches us, it's um, we're seeing it as it was back then. And the fact that the universe is expanding causes the light that is emitted from those early objects to be stretched out. Mm -hmm. So light that was originally radiated or, or emitted in, say, uh, ultraviolet or even visible visual light uh, gets stretched out into longer wavelengths, into the infrared for the most part. That's really cool. Yeah, I found it really fascinating. Ted and I were in this um, training with NASA. And because I was like, how does it look into the past? Like, dumb it down for me, NASA. <laughs> and um, they said, you know, I think a really good example they gave, too, is that when we see this light that has turned into the infrared light, 
um, that's coming from like maybe galaxies and things that are like 13.5 billion light years away. So that's how long it's taken. So we're looking back like 13.5 billion years. And so I was like, oh, that, <laughs> that's how it does it. I love astronomy because it always gives me that just that weird sense in my head. You know, it just makes my, my brain build, bend over on itself. It just it also makes you feel so small, you know, when you think of the, the scale, not in just terms of space, but also time. Um, it just really puts things into a different kind of perspective. Um, but one of the uh, exhibits or one of the sites hosting the multi-site exhibit uh, starting on October 5th, uh, we'll talk about understanding the early universe. Is that right? Yeah, so that's right. And that's going to be talking, um, you know, about a bit what we were just talking about there and how it's going to let us look at um, stars and galaxies from um, shortly after like the, the Big Bang and really far back into our past. Awesome. And that one will be at the Sierra Vista Public Library. Uh, there will also be exhibits at the Ethel H. Berger Center, the Sports Division and the Oscar Roon Community Center. Yes. The one here explores, um, we're at the Oscar Roon right now. The one at the Oscar Roon explores uh, the science behind webs. So we're looking at the different scientific instruments and what they do. Um, then we have one at the museum, which will be dissecting super bl uh, massive black holes. And that one is going to kind of help us understand how web will help astronomers know more about how supermassive black holes affect stars and the galaxies around them and the star formation. And then another one, uh, pushing the boundaries of the unknown. And so really how it helps to uh, pick up uh, this different light and look through different dust clouds and things like that to help us see, you know, the formation of galaxies and things today. Awesome. Yeah. So folks will definitely want to kind of check out all those different exhibits to see like kind of the full spectrum of what the telescope can do and really what it means for our understanding of the universe. Um, but we were talking a little bit about the uh, Hubble Space Telescope. Um, I was wondering, Ted, if you could share some of the issues that we experienced with that telescope and maybe any lessons learned that then kind of translated into the development of the uh, James Webb Telescope. Exactly. <clears throat> So everyone remembers that when Hubble was first launched, that uh, the first images that came back from, from Hubble were a big disappointment. And no one immediately knew exactly what went wrong, but they expected very clear images and got very blurry images. Now, the telescope was suffering from something called spherical aberration. Basically, the shape of the mirror, although it was perfectly ground, it was ground to the wrong shape. That occurred evidently because the manufacturer of the mirror actually used the same fixture or the same uh, device to inform the, the, the forming of the mirror, the shaping of the mirror, as, as it did to test the mirror. So that machine was flawed. It, had a, uh, it was assembled quite just slightly wrong and it imparted just a, a very small error into the shape of the mirror. And then the testing showed that it was perfect because it was actually ground perfectly to that wrong shape. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so what uh, Hubble needed, of course, was a pair of corrective lenses. And so we had a, uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. But we had repair missions to, uh, to Hubble to, uh, to do that. Happily, Hubble was actually designed to be serviceable, whereas Webb will not be serviceable. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so Webb, is it traveling further out um, than Hubble or, or kind of what's going on with that? Much further out. Okay. So Webb working in the infrared has to be extremely cold. So to do that, we have to get away from all heat sources and we have to block the heat of the sun. So we're going to cool the telescope um, passively to about negative 300 degrees Fahrenheit. In addition to that, there will be a uh, cryo cooler 
basically a high-tech refrigerator that will cool certain instruments on web to even more, even lower temperatures. But we have to be far out in space to be able to be away from the heat of the earth and the moon and just to uh, be able to block the heat of, of the telescope itself. So um, to do that, we had to be far away from earth. They picked the L2 Lagrange point because of the gravitational characteristics of a Lagrange point enables Webb to um, maintain its orbit with very little fuel consumption. Okay. So there's a limited amount of weight that you can lift with any particular rocket and less fuel means more telescope. So they decided early on, um, you know, doing cost benefit analysis, you, you decide that it didn't make sense to add the extra weight and complexity and money to, uh, to make web serviceable. Okay. Well, what, what happens when it runs out of fuel? So when it runs out of fuel, they'll save the last little bit of fuel to uh, send Webb into a, an orbit around the sun that they uh, call a graveyard orbit. It's basically designed to just uh, be out there essentially forever, but not to interf interfere with any known satellite or crash into anything that's important to us. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, it is a good plan. <laughs> you always need an exit strategy. Um, so uh, is the is the entire exterior coated in gold or what? Just the mirror. Just the mirror. So okay, just the, mirror. the mirror is coated in gold. I mean, most mirrors are coated in either aluminum or silver or okay. some type of metal to reflect the light. Uh, and since we're working in the infrared, we want something that is particularly good at, at reflecting infrared light. The reason gold is the color it is, is because it does exactly that. It, re it reflects the redder end of our spectrum. Uh -huh. it, it doesn't reflect blue light well at all, but it reflects the redder end and into the infrared. So it's very efficient in infrared wavelengths. It doesn't use a lot of gold. You all, if you scraped all the gold off the mirror, it would be about the size of a golf ball. So oh, about wow. two ounces of gold. So not the most expensive part of the telescope? No, not by <laughs> any means. Um, and when does this actually launch? So I should say that our exhibits will stay up through early November, I think, depending on when the telescope actually is a go for launch. Um, but how does that work? When can people expect to see some news on that? Yeah. So the, the latest uh, press release says that the launch will be on December 18th. Okay. We firmly expect that that's, that's a go. Um, the, the most recent holdup has been with the, with the launch vehicle, the Ariane 5 rocket, and their schedule. Uh, they had some earlier problems uh, that caused them to delay some other launches. So that's uh, so we're now on the schedule and everything is ready. Uh, I, I, I'm sure Webb has been sent. I think it's already arrived at uh, the spaceport in French Guiana, uh, and it's ready to uh, to go to the launch pad as soon as uh, uh, there's one more launch in in front of it, and then everything has to be reprepared or, you know, fixed up after the launch and get prepared for the next launch, which will be web. Okay, cool. So Elizabeth, does that mean these exhibits will stay up until that date or how is that going to work? Well, Adam, I thought about that once they gave us the new date and I think um, we're going to pull it down in early November because uh, one of the thing that, things that I'm most excited about this uh, exhibition using these uh, NASA posters and content is putting it into our schools. Mm -hmm. And so after we take it down, we're going to put it into our school system as a traveling exhibition to support STEM resources for local students. I'm estimated to reach out over 4,000 local students, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. 
And I should also definitely give a shout out to Sulphur Springs Valley Electric Cooperative, who very generously funded the exhibition and the, you know, to for us to be able to produce and install this and move it throughout the school system. So um, big thank you to uh, Jack Blair and Michelle McCollum and everybody up there. Absolutely. So is that going to go for about two years through local schools or is, is there kind of a plan for the, that timeline? Yeah, it's going to go. Um, we'll pull it down here probably beginning of November um, now that the launch date's been moved back further. And then I'll uh, put it in the schools from then until the end of the 2023 school year. Gotcha. That's awesome. And uh, I know this is something you, you've talked about before. Um, why do you want to kind of expand the museum's reach, um, you know, beyond its walls, so to speak, um, both in the sense of spreading to like the sports facility, you know, other city facilities, um, and then also in local schools? Well, I think that's really how you um, reach new audiences and can engage them in things that they might be interested in, but don't know about. So like having it at the part of it at the sports division, now you're going to have people who come in to sign up for softball or put their kids in for soccer, and they're going to see, and you're going to reach this new audience. They're going to become aware of that. And then you're also going to have the people who go there specifically to look at the exhibition, and they're going to get to see all of the wonderful resources that our sports division has, mm -hmm. you know, from their different programs and everything there. Um, and so I think that's a great way to engage new audiences. Um, and our school systems, I'm just passionate about that. You know, I think it's really important for us to as like uh, cultural and educational institutions to support our local teachers and to give them um, some much needed resources. Because a lot of them, you know, they don't have necessarily all of that. And especially history, we're looking to do another traveling exhibition into schools uh, in about a year or so. We're working on it right now, but um, to help, you know, support historical resources also. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's, that's such a valuable asset to be able to share with local schools. And, you know, you need to get kids excited about history somehow. Um, and I think a, a NASA a component definitely helps that along generally. But um, for me, it was easy to get excited as, about space as a kid, less so about local history sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, the web telescope one is exciting. So it's history in the making, you know. But um, yeah. And I think when we do some exhibit highlighting local history into schools in the future, um, that, you know, will help to get kids a little excited because it has that local connection to it. Mm -hmm. It's part of all of our shared past. And so I think that tends to um, have more in an, of an impact on kids who are learning history. Oh, definitely. Did you have something to add? It's to interesting to, uh, to note also that the, the contribution of the University of Arizona mm -hmm. to the Webb Space Telescope. Yes. Uh, we have um, two instruments on web that are involved, uh, you know, being one of them is actually designed at the university and the other one, uh, the principal investigator on one, one instrument and the uh, team leader of, of another web instrument are at the uh, University of Arizona. Yeah, as a, as a proud wildcat, uh, I was actually very, very happy to learn about uh, the university's involvement in astronomy. Um, and it's not something people really think about either being right in their own backyard. It's sure. kind of amazing. And I'd like to mention that um, in October of uh, uh, October 17th. It, what, which one? I'm looking <laughs> for our, our, our Chuka Astronomy Club meeting. Uh, we're going to have a... Uh, 
Dr. George Reiki of the University of Arizona as our guest speaker. So that will be on Friday, October 22nd from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Cochise College Community Room. Excuse me for getting that date mixed up with this this month's uh, (laughs) meeting. That is the 22nd. We have so much going on that whole month. It's fine. (laughs) Yes, we have all the detailed listings on on that uh, linked in our description. There should be a a link to the uh, Vista's newsletter. Um, I have the print edition on my lap here. You might hear that in the background as we look up some of this information, but it's a great way to find out about all these programs and events going on because there's much more than just those exhibits. Um, So aside from the meeting, um, I know there's a couple events we wanted to highlight. Um, One's probably the Sierra Vista City Star Party. Uh, Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we're going to have um, a bunch of telescopes and members of the Wachuca Astronomy Club who will be bringing their telescopes out to Veterans Park. That is on um, Friday, October 15th. From 6 to 9, am I right, Adam? 6 to 8, but that was oh, so close. That was so good. close. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that'll be really great, uh, working with Wachuca Astronomy Club. Um, one of the ones I'm most excited about is our Sensory Space Exploration Program, which is geared for special needs children, but open to children of all abilities. And I'm really hoping that we get a good mix, because I like that inclusiveness, and I think it's important um, when you have kids who have a little bit of differences who can be together and really, you know, come together and help to understand each other more. Yeah, and it's just exciting for them to feel included in these kind of events and welcomed, too. So just having that kind of element, um, really, it's nice for those parents and those families, I think, definitely. Right, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have, like, a dramatic play area and uh, sensory activity stations. I'll have uh, some resources like noise-canceling headphones. We have a communication board we'll have out there and different things like that to really support that community. That's awesome. Uh, and the Sensory Space Exploration is on Saturday, October 16th from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Ethel H. Burger Center. And uh, I don't think registration is required for that one, right? No, it's okay, not. Cool. Perfect. Um, and then I know there's another big one. It's the Web Launch Party. Um, can you talk about that one, Ted? So we're going to open the Patterson Observatory on Saturday, October 23rd for a mostly all-day event. We're planning right now to be open from nine until four, and that might actually extend a little bit later into the evening. Um, we're waiting right now for the, our NASA expert that will be our, our virtual speaker at the event. Uh, we also plan to have a, uh, a live presentation done in Spanish for our Spanish audience. We'll have all day solar observing. We, uh, are very excited about the idea of having uh, virtual reality helmets available to take a tour of the infrared universe, I think. And that's provided by the University of Arizona. Really neat. Um, and, and for those who have never done solar viewing, I mean, you don't think about astronomy events in the daytime all the time, but it is so neat to be able to actually look up close at the sun in the daytime without hurting your eyes. <laughs> um, and I've, I've done that a couple of times and it is it is a very, very cool thing to get. A chance right. To do. We can't pr- we can't promise anything now, but the sun right now is actually very, very active. Hmm. It's been a long time since we've seen any sunspots to note on the sun. But right now, there's uh, four or five sunspot groups that look really cool. Plus, we have a really sophisticated uh, telescope at, uh, at Patterson that can see the sun in hi- the light of hydrogen alpha. So we'd be able to witness solar prominences and other s- surface detail that you can't normally see in a white light telescope where we look at sunspots. But that'll be a cool event. We also have one of the uh, HAC members that will that is a collector 
that will have a display of NASA artifacts, and he'll be on hand to explain those artifacts. Uh, another uh, contribution of the university will be a demonstration by an engineering student of a infrared camera. And since Webb will be working in infrared, it's nice to be able to show people how infrared works. Uh, a number of other events where we have a, a very talented um, model maker, uh, Stacy Chitwood, and, and she's building a, uh, a web model for uh, Elizabeth's exhibit. But she will also be on hand to lead people through um, the pr production of a of the simplest version of the uh, Webb Space Telescope paper model. Oh. So should take about an hour for people to, uh, to build their own little web. Yeah, and so this is all at the Webb Telescope launch party at the Patterson Observatory on the University of Arizona South Campus, Sierra Vista Campus. It's now called CAST, yes. the College Thank of Applied you. Science and Technology. Yes. <laughs> or you can say the University of Arizona Sierra Vista Campus. There we go. Um, so if you've never been to Patterson, that is a great day to check it out. There's going to be tons to do. That is on Saturday, October 23rd from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. So definitely mark your calendars for that one. We would really like to thank the University South Foundation, which owns the Patterson Observatory, for making that available to us to hold this event. Absolutely. And there are monthly uh, viewing nights at the Patterson Observatory, um, regularly scheduled. Uh, you know, if, if it's cloudy that evening, it might get canceled. But uh, take a look on our community calendar at servicetoaz.gov, and we uh, do uh, list those events there. Uh, so just Google or just search Patterson on that website, and those will come up. Um, and those are always free to the public, always open, and just a, just a great way to check out uh, the local observatory right here in Sierra Vista. Um, were there any other of the events you particularly want to highlight? Well, I would just like to say you won't want to miss Ted doing a speaker presentation on the Webb Telescope. Um, that'll be happening on Thursday, October 28th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the uh, Sierra Vista Public Library. And Ted is a really great speaker, and I'm, I'm really excited to watch his presentation myself. Yeah, it, I am too. I mean, I, I kind of geek out on this stuff. I feel like I get to be host of Science Friday today. Uh, <laughs> except it's Monday. Um, we all wish it was Friday. But uh, so as we kind of uh, wrap up today, I did want to talk a little bit about other updates at the Henry F. Hauser Museum. Um, it's been closed for a little while uh, this year um, as you kind of do some updates to the displays, to the facility itself, and also some cool enhancements. Uh, so you talked about inclusivity. Um, can you talk a little bit about the sensory room that is uh, now located inside the Henry F. Hauser Museum. Yeah, so we had this uh, little tiny space that um, it used to be used, I think, to watch oral histories back a long time ago. And I decided it would be um, a lot better for our community to have a small sensory room. Um, a lot of bigger museums who do sensory rooms, it's a, in a huge space still, and it can still be overwhelming. So what sensory rooms really are, they're um, areas to help you know, kids who might be overstimulated or, you know, a little leery in a new situation or experience to be able to go in and decompress and to relax. So we've got like a dry aquarium touch tank is what I'm calling it. And it's got all kinds of different um, textures and things. Kids are free to reach in and feel. It's got really nice soothing lighting, um, ocean sounds. We also have a communication board in there um, and then some other different tactile things. And then we have like fidgets and uh, the noise canceling headphones as well. And I'm still waiting on some of my liquid floor tiles to come in. So it's not completely finished. It's open, but not uh, 
completely done. And those are real fun too. Sometimes I just go in there and walk around on them. But yeah, it should be a nice little space for not only our, you know, sensory kids who are have a lot of different sensory things, but um, for just all kids. We had some in there the other day just hanging out, playing, and the parents loved it because they could walk around and check out the exhibit without, you know, really worrying. And Absolutely. No, that's a really nice thing to have. And then uh, the current exhibit, we should probably mention, will be up until October 5th, or or how long is the current exhibit up? Oh, it's going to be up for about the next year. Oh, the next year. Okay, yes. cool, because the other exhibits are at the other facilities and out in the other. Oh, okay. Yeah, was, and uh, okay. part of the exhibition will just be on one of our walls there. Gotcha. But yeah, so our current exhibit is Avenues of Influence, um, Exploring Women's Experiences and Agency. And so it just talks about, you know, local women, their experiences in our community, um, their kind of historic footprint here. It highlights some women who uh, really helped to shape the community and then just talks about, um, I don't know, you know, how women exerted power throughout our community as well, like through social clubs and things like that. So um, awesome. And the and the Henry F. Housing Museum also has some new hours. Uh, you're open Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5. Does that, that sound about yes, right? That is correct. <laughs> uh, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Tuesdays through Saturdays. Um, we also, uh, you know, I'm happy to open outside of those hours, too, for a special viewing. You can call me um, at the museum at 439-2306 to schedule that if their normal hours don't work for you. And I also do tours of the Fry Pioneer Cemetery, if anyone's interested of hearing about that history and the uh, recent restoration efforts there. Awesome. Yeah, that's well worth checking out, too. And uh, I appreciate both your time. It's been great talking with you today. Um, and maybe we'll have you again uh, back sometime. All right. Sounds good, Adam. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. And that's all for this episode of Let's Talk Sierra Vista. As always, you're invited to join the conversation by sending your comments, ideas, or questions to pod at sierravistaaz.gov. That's pod, P-O-D, at sierravistaaz.gov. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.